Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, folks. I am so excited that you could join us because I am so excited about our guest. You know, some people are rock stars because they're rock stars, and some people are rock stars in their field of work. And I feel like I got to meet a rock star when I was at Ohio State University in April. I was there uh, during Earth Week to help the students kick off Earth Week, and I gave a speech to the kids at the uh, student union. But the, the day of that speech, I went on a tour of the Center for Automotive Research at Ohio State University and got to meet the guest that I'm going to bring to you today, and he blew my mind. I'm not even that into cars. Many of you have heard me talk about the fact that I still drive the same Dodge Grand Caravan that I've been driving for the last 13 years. I love my minivan. I really do. And I'm not that into cars, but I am into what Dr. Rizzoni is going to be sharing with us today about the future of transportation and all of the great things that he is working on there at the Center for Automotive Research at Ohio State University. Dr. Rizzoni, thank you so much for being on Go Green Radio. Well, Jill, you're far too kind and thank you for having me on your program. It's, uh, it's very nice to be here, and I look forward to our chat. Me too. I really am looking forward to it. It was such a pleasure to meet you and to tour the facility that you have. It's, it's just incredible. If you would, set the stage for our listeners and give us sort of a brief history of CAR, Center for Automotive Research, when it began and why it was founded. Yeah. Well, First of all, it's important to note that Ohio is uh, a very important uh, region or state in, um, uh, for the automotive industry. Uh, Ohio manufactures uh, the second largest number of vehicles in the country after, of course, the state of Michigan. And I think we're first in production of uh, commercial trucks. So it, the automotive industry is very important to the state. And uh, the Ohio State University, of course, has had a longstanding relationship with the auto industry dating back decades, um, in fact, probably a century. And when um, Honda of America Manufacturing um, in the 1970s uh, started moving some of its manufacturing facilities in Ohio, a relationship started between uh, Honda and Ohio State that uh, culminated in a partnership that began in 1989. Um, the Ohio State University agreed to operate the Transportation Research Center, a proving ground located about 40 miles northwest of Columbus, um, that is actually adjacent to Honda's uh, manufacturing facilities. And uh, Honda, on the other hand, owned the land and, uh, and the actual physical plant. So that created a relationship that mm, provided 
a funding stream for the university to begin to invest more seriously in transportation research. So in 1990, a group of uh, faculty from the College of Engineering wrote a proposal to the Office of Research and the Office of Academic Affairs uh, that would lead to the establishment of a center for automotive research. In 1991, the proposal was um, approved, and our we started on our path of 20-year uh, growth. In fact, we will be celebrating our, our 20th anniversary uh, next September. Oh, congratulations. That's fantastic. And when I visited your research facility, I mean, every square inch of the facility had action going on. I got to see the electric motorcycle you're working on, the Buckeye Bullet, which is awesome. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, the Eco Car that students are working on. They had a Baja SAE car, a little bit muddy. It looked like it had been put to good use. <laughs> and several other projects going on. When people ask you, Dr. Rizzoni, what does CAR focus on? How do you answer that question? Well, actually, the answer is quite simple. We fo focus on the future of mobility, and in particular, uh, on how our society will be able to afford to have a sustainable mobility future uh, when we are faced with all these challenges of, uh, you know, depleting natural resources, uh, uh, you know, limits in uh, the amount of fossil fuels, environmental concerns related to carbon dioxide emissions, and also safety, affordability of automobiles. So in, in a nutshell, a uh, car works on uh, helping, supporting the industry to develop uh, new paradigms that will make it possible for future generations to transport themselves in a safe, efficient, and environmentally conscious way. That's pretty awesome. That That's a great way to wake up every morning. To be able to focus on that and work on that mission is uh, pretty inspiring. Now, I put out a teaser when I was advertising for the show, promoting this episode, I put out a teaser that we were going to be talking to the director of the center that created the world's fastest electric vehicle. And I would love for you to tell our listeners all about the Buckeye Bullet and what it's like being part of the design team that created the world's fastest electric vehicle. Well, it's pretty exciting. You know, my role is relatively small in that I serve as the faculty advisor, uh, and I do from time to time uh, provide advice to students, but really it's a student-run project, and uh, we have uh, the ability to provide them with an environment here thanks to uh, the investment made by the College of Engineering in these facilities. Uh, we have the ability to provide them with some good resources and uh, a good space to do what they do, but the students really are the ones who are behind um, uh, the thought process. And I have to tell you a little bit of history. Uh, in uh, the early 1990s, two electric power companies, Arizona Public Service in Phoenix and um, uh, the Illuminating Company in Cleveland, decided to begin to sponsor an electric car racing series. Now, today that doesn't sound too unlikely, but if you wind the clock back and think that this happened in 1993, you know, it may surprise some of your listeners. So in 1993, we agreed, Ohio State University agreed to join this uh, competition that was called at the time Formula Lightning. And the first race was held in 1994, July, uh, at the Burke Lakefront uh, Grand Prix of Cleveland, where IndyCars were also racing. We were a sideshow for, for the big boys. And at that time, uh, I put together a group of students. I was the fac faculty advisor designated by, by the college. And... Um, I gathered a group of electrical and mechanical engineering students, and we built uh, uh, the powertrain 
for an electric race car. Now, this is like an indie style race car, open wheel, single driver, you know, open cockpit, cockpit kind of race car. We raced that vehicle between 1994 and approximately 2000. Um, the, there was a period of time between 95 and 97 when uh, national championships were awarded, sponsored by ABB. Ohio State, the Ohio State team, uh, we called their vehicle then the Smoking Buckeye, actually <laughs> won each and every one of the three national championships that were awarded. Then in the late 90s, things changed. You know, the motivation for this electric vehicle racing was that uh, the state of California had uh, enacted this um, regulation that required all major automakers to sell a certain number of electric vehicles in the state of California. They called them zero-emission vehicles. So in the 90s, there was a big push towards electric vehicles that really did not materialize into any commercial products of any lasting uh, value. You may recall the General Motors EV1, but just about every auto company in the mid to late 90s was selling electric vehicles in California. And so the, this race series um, was, in a sense, you know, a, something that created greater public awareness and involved university students in the world of, of electric vehicles. But then the enthusiasm faded. Uh, battery technology was, was really not ready for prime time. These were electric vehicles that were mostly powered by lead-acid batteries. Uh, our race car was powered by lead-acid batteries. So in about 1999, the race series ended, and a group of students came to me and said, you know, We'd like to continue. We've learned so much about uh, high-performance electric vehicles. What could we do? And they came up with this idea of um, uh, designing and building a land-speed record uh, vehicle. They found out who was currently holding the uh, U.S. and uh, world land-speed record for electric vehicles. They came up with some ideas for the design, found some sponsors. And so around 2000, the concept of the Buckeye Bullet was born. The students did a lot of interesting research. You know, there is a lot of history um, uh, around uh, the Bonneville salt flats where these records are, are set. And uh, a lot of it has to do with pioneers who uh, many, many years ago, dating back to the 1950s, perhaps even before World War II, were racing these prototype vehicles up and down the salt flats. So the students learned what it took to do that, designed a vehicle, painfully and painstakingly found the right sponsors and the right resources to actually come up with a vehicle. And in 2004, we set the last of a series of records that we actually set with a vehicle about 30 feet long, the original Buckeye Bullet, powered by uh, the equivalent of 16 Toyota Prius battery packs. Because in, in the meantime, Toyota had launched the Prius, uh, hybrid electric vehicles were beginning to be uh, commonplace, and so uh, that was the best uh, and easiest way for us to procure batteries. So in 2004, this team actually took this vehicle to over 300 miles per hour on the Bonneville Salt Flats. Well, that was very exciting, and uh, at the end of, uh, once we had set that record, uh, the team went back to the drawing board and said, what can we do next? What would be the next big challenge? And they came up with the idea of building a new vehicle, the Buckeye Bullet 2, that would be powered by hydrogen. Still an electric vehicle, but the electricity would be provided by hydrogen fuel cells. And so that process, which in the first year, actually, in the first couple of years, involved a strong collaboration with Ford Motor Company, lasted until 2009, when in 2009, the team set the FIA world record for hydrogen fuel cell vehicles at something like 303 miles per hour. 
And uh, that was very exciting. Uh, during the process of uh, uh, completing this record, we had uh, found another exciting sponsor who was very interested in electric transportation, Venturi Automobiles, a company based in uh, Monaco. And uh, they decided to sponsor uh, a new effort towards a battery-powered new electric vehicle. So the first thing we did was to take the Buckeye Bullet II and replace the fuel cells with lithium-ion batteries. And I'm sorry if this was a long-winded story, but the car you saw is actually the battery-powered version of the Buckeye Bullet 2. We call it the Bullet 2.5. And that vehicle last summer went uh, something like 320 miles an hour on the Bonneville Salt Flats, powered by uh, these lithium-ion batteries. The That's team is so cool. now The team is now busy working on the Buckeye Bullet 3. Oh my goodness. And, and do they have any target speeds that they're, they're trying to reach? I mean, what's their goal? Well, um, when uh, we broke the 300 mile per hour record for both fuel cell and battery powered vehicles, those were historic landmarks because in both cases, uh, that was the first time that a vehicle powered by that type of energy source actually exceeded 300 miles per hour. So if I can count correctly, the next number after three is four, uh, and I will let you do the arithmetic. <laughs> now, you have a, a professional driver that drives the vehicle. I mean, the, this is not a student-driven... Uh, how, how do they select the driver for the Buckeye Oh, it's quite simple. The driver, Roger Schroer, is uh, head of the driver training and uh, test uh, vehicle program at the Transportation Research Center here in uh, East Liberty, Ohio, about 40 miles from our campus. So he's an experienced professional driver, and uh, TRC Incorporated actually provides his time to us as a gift, as a contribution to our program, and Roger donates a lot of time to help the students develop the vehicle and make sure that uh, it satisfies his requirements. He's, he's a wonderful guy and a very... He has the probably the lowest heart rate I've ever known in a human being. He's, he's an <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know how I could stay low because that, I, I can't imagine. And I saw the vehicle. I'm, I've got pictures of it uh, that I, I have shared and I will continue to share on the Go Green Initiative website. We have a, a section on our homepage of the website that's down in the lower left-hand corner of the homepage, our Flickr photo stream. I think right now it's showing some pictures of high-speed trains being manufactured in China, but I'll get some pictures up of the Buc- Buckeye Bullet and the Buckeye Bullet too. But uh, to, to think about somebody sitting in this vehicle and going over 300 miles an hour is pretty amazing. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but folks, we'll be right back with Dr. Giorgio Rizzoni, Center for Automotive Research at The Ohio State University. So excited to have him on. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. 
Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Glad that you could join us because today we have a very special guest. His name is Dr. Giorgio Rizzoni. He's the director for the Center for Automotive Research at the Ohio State University. I had the great pleasure of touring his facility last month uh, during Earth Week. And in fact, there's a short video up on my website. If you go to www.gogreeninitiative.org and you look on the section of our homepage that deals with our YouTube videos, the very most latest, uh, if that's even a way to describe it, the latest uh, upload is a video that I put together, very amateur but very enlightening, of the presentation that Dr. Rizzoni gave before we toured the facility. And I think you'll find it very, very interesting. Um, Dr. Rizzoni, we... We would be remiss if we didn't talk about the students that you work with because they are so bright, so creative, and you were talking about them and their work with the Buckeye Bullet uh, in the last segment. But I know that those students are coming from a multitude of academic disciplines. How is it that you coordinate the work and and make it meaningful for undergraduates, graduate students, um, all these kids from such diverse majors? Well, it's a great question, and first of all, let me point out that uh, the mission of a primary mission of our university is to educate, so we want to engage students in uh, uh, meaningful uh, programs, and you said it correctly, we, we engage students from a variety of academic disciplines, not only within engineering, we have design students, uh, we have um, um, business students, marketing and communications, um, uh, so all kinds of uh, uh, different uh, areas of expertise, um, and also, not just undergraduate and graduate students, but we have uh, every year a number of high school interns uh, from our local schools here who come and uh, learn, and we try to get uh, the younger generations excited about careers in engineering. We think this is very important for the country to, to excite the brightest young minds to help us solve tomorrow's problems. So 
Um, how, do we, how do you engage students from such diverse backgrounds? I think the answer is very simple. It's the projects. You can get diverse groups of people to focus on a common goal, and maybe the Buckeye bullet is the most extravagant goal and the strangest one that I've ever heard of in association with a, a university program. But um, it does provide motivation for students to get together and look at the business aspects, the marketing and communication aspects, design and engineering. We do the same thing through research programs that are sponsored by government agencies or industry uh, partners. So it really, the answer to your question is that it's the project, the program, that provides motivation for um, students to collaborate. And once you start working on a program that has a defined goal, it's not difficult for people who are different parts of the same machine to learn how to work with one another. What I love about what you just said, Dr. Rizzoni, is that you're creating a real-world work environment. You know, sometimes in the academic community, we tend to be a bit siloed. You know, I mean, I remember when I was going uh, to, to college, you know, I was studying my major, I was focused on my major, and honestly did not have that much interaction with students from other disciplines. And that's not how the real world works. It's a, it's a system, not a, a series of silos. And so it's great that you are simulating that real world work environment for the kids before they even get out there. And I think one of the other exciting learning opportunities that you're providing at the Center for Automotive Research is the chance for students to really get to work with real-world industry leaders. Talk about some of the automotive industry partners that you work with and how that collaboration benefits the students at OSU. We have so many collaborations with the automotive industry. I think if I, I couldn't give you a list of companies that are involved with us in uh, uh, research and development programs because it would be too long. But uh, any major name you've ever imagined, ranging from our near neighbor Honda to our good friends in the Detroit area, GM, Ford, and Chrysler, to companies you've never heard of because maybe they just make a special component or a special uh, lubricant additive uh, that goes into the vehicles we drive. We carry on, carry out research projects in collaboration with all of these companies. And these projects range uh, from uh, fundamental research, trying to answer questions that uh, have never been answered before, to simply finding better ways or more cost-effective ways of implementing something that has been known for a long time. There is a great reason why, a very powerful reason why these companies collaborate with us, and that is that ultimately they're going to be the employers of uh, the students we educate. So it is in their interest to provide our students with a fruitful environment to learn how to be, as you said correctly, how to work on real-world problems. So let me give you some examples. Uh, for a number of years, we uh, collaborated with uh, General Motors Powertrain to develop software algorithms to make existing engines, more efficient, cleaner, lower emissions. Um, and we did about uh, maybe five, six, seven years worth of development in a series of projects. And today, when you look around at a General Motors vehicle that has uh, a four-cylinder engine in it, uh, some of the software that uh, makes uh, the fuel injection and exhaust emission control systems work was actually developed here. So these are fantastic experiences, and of course, the outcome of it is that the sponsor usually tends to uh, recruit and hire the students who worked on these projects. So for them, it's a great investment. They invest in us, and, uh, and the, their return is not only the technology, but uh, probably more important, the people they are able to recruit for their companies. 
there it's workforce development in yeah. its its best form uh, i love that idea i like the idea of of industry collaborating with education and and helping ensure that we have a ready workforce to solve like you said in a previous segment these these difficulties these challenges that we're going to be facing in the 21st century I, I love that model now in addition to automotive industry leaders that you partner with you also work with uh, several national energy industry leaders talk to us about your smart at car project and some of these uh, energy industry leaders that you're partnering with yeah this is a relatively new uh, activity for us a few years ago in, in 2008 we observed that um, uh, with all this emphasis on plug-in vehicles, whether they're plug-in hybrid or plug-in battery-powered vehicles, um, it must be important to engage in our conversation the electric utility industry as well. And we started talking to our local friends here, American Electric Power, major energy provider with a very large footprint that goes from uh, uh, New York to Texas, actually, uh, happens to have its uh, headquarters in Columbus, Ohio. So um, it was easy for us to talk to AP, and I learned quickly that the state of Ohio is served by a number of major electricity providers. Uh, First Energy covers uh, more of the northern part of the state. Uh, Duke Energy touches in the Cincinnati area. Dayton Power and Light is a major player in in the Dayton region. So we started talking to these companies, and uh, uh, I think we were able to attract them to uh, towards a collaboration with us by showing them that we already had uh, a very solid relationship with the automakers. You know, three years ago, uh, it wasn't that common for an electric utility industry executive to just have a normal, to carry on a conversation with an automotive industry executive. But as our government has started making investments uh, in uh, vehicle electrification, uh, smart grid, and related topics. Uh, the question uh, started, uh, uh, you know, the question started becoming apparent. How will we deal with a possible future in which electric vehicles become another appliance that you plug in? Uh, um, into the system, into the electrical power system, what consequence will, will that have on power quality, on the availability of energy, on the cost of electricity? Will the existing infrastructure we have, the power generation plant, the power transmission and distribution circuits, will they be sufficient to sustain not a 1,000 or 10,000 electric vehicles, but 10 million electric vehicles? So we went to um, all of these electric power companies and convinced them that Maybe a way to answer some of the many questions that uh, can be posed in this context was to team up, to create a collaborative. We call it a consortium, uh, and, um, and to work together with us and with the, our automotive industry partner to define a set of problems that are appropriate for a university to study and that would be good fertile ground for collaboration and, uh, and, uh, and conversation between uh, the electric power industry and the automotive industry. So today, Smarter Car represents a really interesting experiment in using a public university as an open uh, forum for discussing problems of interest to two distinct industries. And, you know, we publish our results. We hold meetings twice a year. We invite not only representatives of the electric power sector and of the automotive industry, but we also invite 
regulators, policymakers, uh, government officials here in, uh, uh, locally and uh, at the state level and at the national level have been very interested in this. So it's been a new experience for us, and I would say that so far it's been quite successful. Well, it's very exciting because it really is the future of transportation. I mean, whether that's all EVs or hybrids, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but that really is uh, the future of transportation. It's exciting to be right there at the vortex and the epicenter of that, that work that you're doing. Now, I want to shift gears just a little bit because the beginning of your presentation, and again, people can see this in the YouTube video that they'll find up on my website, gogreeninitiative.org, um, you, you talked about the relationship between the economic uh, improvements going on in the BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and global oil production. And I found your, your data and your presentation of these facts to be fascinating. Um, won't you give us just a little bit of background? In a couple of minutes before we have the next commercial break, Talk to us about that relationship between those rising BRIC country economies and global oil production. Yes, well, it's quite evident, uh, and more so every day, that as a, an economy grows and matures into a fully industrialized stage, as is happening today in China, Russia, uh, India, Brazil, and many other countries, uh, there is going to be an increasing demand for personal transportation, for personal mobility. Uh, one of the graphs I showed in my presentation was uh, showed that there is a clear correlation between the uh, number of vehicles sold uh, per thousand inhabitants and the gross domestic product of a country. Well, we all understand that the economy of China, let's take China on as the largest example, is growing at a very rapid pace. And, uh, and uh, the requirement, the need and the demand for transportation is growing at uh, an equally rapid pace, if not faster. So what does that mean for us? It means that demand for fuels for transportation is also going to grow. But on the other hand, we are also faced with the reality that uh, fossil fuels are a finite resource. Without going into the uh, you know, peak oil conversation, which is a whole other topic that maybe you could do with someone else on another show. But the fact of the matter is that fossil fuel resources are finite. Now, we may be okay within our generation, but our children and our children's children will definitely have to face uh, uh, the need for identifying other fuels than petroleum-based fuels. And the fact that um, these growing, developing, industrializing countries are going to have a significant demand for this transportation fuel means that there will be competition for it. You know, demand uh, will uh, cause uh, prices to rise. And, uh, and I think in general, uh, uh, the overall demand on the existing supply of uh, petroleum is just simply going to increase. It's not going to go down. Well, and I... I hate to say it, we have to take a quick commercial break, but as soon as we come back, I want to go right into the now what conversation. So we know that this is true. We can see clearly that uh, this is the trend in oil production capability and, and availability for transportation. And I want you to talk about now what? And so, folks, don't go away. We've got so much more with Dr. Giorgio Rizzoni, Director of the Center for Automotive Research at The Ohio State University. Don't go away. News. 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 News.
your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'll tell you, this guest that we have today, Dr. Giorgio Rizzoni from The Ohio State University, I'm just enjoying myself so much I can't even tell you. And I'm glad that you're all along for the ride because what we're talking about today, the future of transportation, is not just about cars and electric vehicles. It's about so much more. I mean, this is the way that we move goods. It's the way that we move our economy. And Dr. Rizzoni and his students are right at the very epicenter of some of the most exciting research, some of the most exciting collaborations within the auto industry, within the energy industry. Um, this is good stuff. This is really good stuff. If you're just joining us and uh, maybe you've missed the first part of the show or if you have been with us all along but you think, gosh, my friends need to really listen to this, I, I wish that it were going to replay, 
don't worry. It is going to replay next Tuesday on the green channel of Voice America. You can check it out at uh, voiceamerica.com. Click on the Green Living Channel next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon East Coast time. Everybody in the, in the middle of the country, do your own math. But that's when this show will replay. So be sure to let everybody that you believe needs to listen to this know that we're going to be doing this show again. Dr. Rizzoni, we were talking about just before the break, uh, your data that, that you showed that shows that ultimately, uh, you know, due to many factors, but uh, not the least of which is the rising economies and, and hence the desire for personal mobility that's going on in the BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, that ultimately the demand for petroleum products will outpace the availability of petroleum products, which will drive the price up. And so we need to look for alternatives. And there are those in America who say, well, I'll tell you what, let's just electrify all of our uh, light transportation, uh, all of our petroleum needs beyond that we can supply domestically, and then we don't have to worry about it. Um, What do you say to that? Well, first of all, let me explain that um, uh, our country depends on a variety of energy sources, so the energy supply is divided uh, among a few major players. There are a lot of minor uh, players as well, but the key uh, elements, the key resources we have for energy are, uh, number one, petroleum, uh, 60% of which or more is imported today. Uh, that's about 40%, uh, more than 40% of all the energy consumed in the, in the country. Then you have two other big players, coal and natural gas. Those represent about maybe 23, 24% each. So we're up to about somewhere between 85 and 90% of all, industry, of all energy produced in this country comes from petroleum, coal, natural gas. Uh, nuclear energy provides about uh, maybe 8.5% or so, and the rest of it, it's not much that is left now, is divided among all the other things, hydroelectric, solar, wind, geothermal, biomass, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I believe that today the U.S. is approaching uh, something of the order of maybe 10% of its total energy production uh, to, uh, from um, renewable energy sources. So we have the 90% to cope with. So why electricity as an alternative to petroleum? Well, the simple argument is that we do not use petroleum to produce electricity. Uh, We use primarily coal, natural gas, and uh, nuclear. And hydroelectric represents maybe about 2.5%. So since electricity is independent of petroleum, the argument of using electricity as a fuel for transportation, assuming that all of the other obstacles, you know, long-life batteries, fast recharging, are overcome, the, the idea of using electricity as a fuel has the attractive uh, element of being mostly domestically produced, so there is a certain energy security side to this, and completely uncorrelated to petroleum. What are the problems and the pitfalls here? Well, number one is that uh, uh, electricity is still largely produced from another fossil fuel. So it is true that coal extraction is primarily a domestic uh, uh, industry here in the U.S. We, we have our own coal. But um, uh, that is also a finite resource. It may stretch out further into the future than petroleum reserves. But uh, burning coal as opposed to burning petroleum to fuel cars is not necessarily the best solution one could think of. So that's the first drawback of this. 
Now you're saying, well, you know, electricity may be someday may be produced from uh, by other uh, sources, uh, biomass, uh, solar, wind. I think that it will be a long time before we can replace in a meaningful way the amount of coal that we use to produce electricity. So we have to accept the fact that an electric vehicle is not a magical zero emissions vehicle. It's a vehicle that behind it has a huge power generation system in, in, in our country that is mostly about two-thirds on a national, maybe 60-65% on a national average, powered by coal, fueled by coal. So that's something that needs to be uh, considered. There is another element that is important. Some kinds of uh, vehicle uh, applications do not lend themselves to electricity as a fuel. For example, coast-to-coast big Class A tractor-trailer rigs. I cannot imagine what kind of, what kind of complexity it would take to have an electric uh, uh, truck go across country. Uh, airplanes, um, you know, the density, the energy density of liquid fuels is such that uh, it is a necessity for a vehicle that has to sustain itself in flight across an ocean. So there is no, not even the boldest uh, scientists imagine a future in which uh, electrically powered aircrafts will go across the ocean. So there are certain kinds of transportation systems that just simply require liquid fuels. Now, does it have to be petroleum? It certainly will be for a long time, but liquid biofuels, uh, produced from uh, uh, a variety of different uh, feedstocks that could be could lead to fuels that are like diesel or like gasoline, are certainly one of the answers in addition to electricity. Well, and I remember during your presentation, you also mentioned that the internal combustion engine is just so efficient that it's difficult to match that efficiency with and the range that you can get from a small tank mm-hmm. uh, with a similarly sized electric motor with a battery pack. Yeah, yeah and this is another element that uh, often is misunderstood. Uh, an electric motor is much, much more efficient than an internal combustion engine. The input-output efficiency of an electric motor might be greater than 90%, whereas an internal combustion engine will give you at most 40-42%, and that's true for for modern-day diesel engines. A gasoline engine may get up to 35%. So you say, how is it possible, you know, that uh, if I have a 90% efficient electric motor, the, that must be a better way of driving a car. In fact, what you have to consider in this is how is electricity produced? So if you are uh, burning natural gas or coal in a power plant, you have efficiency, inefficiencies in the production of electricity. So a big power plant might maybe be 50% efficient. So if your original fuel was coal or natural gas, your electricity now uses only half of the energy that was contained in the original fuel. And then that electricity has to be transmitted over thousands of miles on transmission lines and uh, transformed up and down in voltage and distributed to local distribution circuits. And each of those steps involves losses. So when you actually look at what we call well-to-wheel efficiency, that is the total composite efficiency, that starts from drilling a well or digging a hole in the ground to extract fuel and seeing how much of that energy actually is used by the wheels of the car, well-to-wheel efficiency could be 
perhaps a little greater for an electric vehicle if it's properly designed, but it's not that far from that of an internal combustion engine powered by diesel or gasoline. So this is a reason why internal combustion engines will continue to be used for a very long period of time. We will continue to improve them. We'll make them hybrid. We will have better technologies. We'll make them more efficient every year. But we're not going to eliminate the internal combustion engine from the picture. Well, and I think that's I think that's really interesting. I also, and you and I talked about this just a bit, um, and you know th- this could be an entire subject for for another show. But it concerns me a little bit that the battery technology we're considering right now is based on lithium ion technology, and quite frankly, the the geographic regions where this rare earth mineral to make these batteries can be found isn't that much more um, friendly. <laughs> to our country than some yeah. of the places where we find petroleum products. And so it's almost like are we, are we trading one set of geopolitical national security issues for another um, by shifting you know our technology from petroleum to lithium-ion batteries? I don't know. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much more with Dr. Rizzoni from the Ohio State University Center for Automotive Research. So, folks, don't go away. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? or 14%. Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Healing occurs from the inside out. To awaken and activate the body's healing mechanisms, your emotions and thought patterns must be addressed and aligned with your truth. These concepts are discussed in detail on The Light Within, Awakening the Inner Healer, with host Joan Jacobs. We'll introduce you to a new way to interpret and address your body's language of symptoms and how to turn disease into a platform of profound personal growth. Tune in to The Light Within, live every Saturday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today we're joined, if you're just tuning in with us, we are joined by Dr. Giorgio Rizzoni, who's the director for the Center of Automotive Research at the Ohio State University. I was fortunate enough to meet him April 18th of this year. Um, I was on the campus of Ohio State University because I was going to be giving a an Earth Day speech, kind of a pump-up speech to the students at the Student Union uh, one evening that week, and I, I stopped by car the center for automotive research and i was just blown away by the work that dr rizzoni and his staff and his students are doing and one of the things that i touched on in the speech that i gave to the osu students was how fortunate they are to be at a land grant university or land grant college during this time there's just something so special about uh, the history of land grant colleges, you know, they, they came about at a time when our economy was shifting from an agrarian economy to the industrial economy. And now I feel like our economy is shifting again. Uh, we're, we're shifting to an economy that's going to be based on clean tech, clean energy. Um, and Dr. Rizzoni, you're just right there at the very, very center of what's going on there. And I love the fact that what you're doing is so appropriate for the mission of a land grant college. You know, I'm an alumna of a land grant college myself, as I mentioned, uh, the University of Illinois. And the education at these institutions was always meant to be intensely practical for the communities that they serve. Very sensible, very practical. Let's you know put that knowledge into action right away. Ohio State University is one of the leading colleges in the Big Ten, uh, in your state, in the Rust Belt, and the Rust Belt needs jobs for the students that you educate and their neighbors. How do you see your work at CAR helping to create jobs in Ohio? Well, first of all, I have to say that I am uh, very proud of being part of our land-grant institution. I think that uh, the mission of a land-grant school is perfectly aligned with uh, our goals and visions here at the Center for Automotive Research, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I think it's very important to um, continue to have a practical, practically oriented outlook on the future of our region, state, national, and world economy, and that is really what the mission of the land-grant school is. How do we do it here? What do we do? Well, first of all, there is one simple component of the land-grant mission, which is to uh, provide uh, uh, assistance support as appropriate uh, to uh, industry partners uh, uh, in and around uh, the university immediate region and also in other states of the union. So one way in which the center fulfills its mission is to uh, collaborate in many ways, fundamental research, applied research, but also by providing engineering support services to a number of companies. Now, if we work with giants like uh, General Motors or Honda, uh, who provide um, lots of jobs in the state of Ohio, then um, our um, focus typically tends to be on working on uh, research programs. But there are so many small and medium companies here in the state uh, that uh, uh, have needs for uh, technical support. They may not have the expertise. They may not have the facilities to uh, conduct some of the experiments they may, may want to carry out in support of their product development. 
So we offer this kind of collaboration. Uh, we offer engineering services, technical advice, in a very friendly and uncomplicated manner. We have uh, special contracting processes that make it very easy for a small company to come to us and do a small project uh, uh, that uh, you know to help them accelerate uh, commercialization of the product. And I have to say that the state of Ohio has also been very supportive in this. Uh, we have been uh, blessed with uh, the Ohio Third Frontier Program, which has now been in existence under, under three different governors and supported by each of them. And uh, the Ohio Third Frontier Program provides some additional state support whenever, wherever there are meaningful uh, industry-university collaborations that could accelerate the commercialization of a product, which in turn could lead to job creation. Now, in addition to these general services that we provide, we have recently been involved also in uh, helping um, startup companies. We have provided some uh, simple but important uh, uh, incubation assistance services for companies that are uh, developing new products. Uh, in late 2009, we spun out a company that um, specializes in uh, services related to advanced batteries and vehicle electrification. Uh, the university and the center in particular have also been instrumental in uh, providing um, um, assistance to the state in attracting companies to uh, our region. So in addition to creating companies, um, for example, this past January, uh, Venturi Automobiles with headquarters in Monaco announced that uh, they were going to have a North American company, Venturi North America, uh, that is happens to be located right now just about 500 yards from uh, the Center for Automotive Research. And so I think that there are many answers to your question. We're trying to uh, do many different things to contribute to the economic development uh, of our region. Well, and I know that Ohio State University has also opened a site in Shanghai, and actually I think you were headed there the day after I met you. Um, and it's no secret that the Chinese auto market is red hot right now. Um, what do you expect cars' role to be in shaping transportation in China? Well, we have, we're part of an initiative, which is probably the highest profile initiative uh, on the parts of the U.S. and Chinese governments uh, related to uh, clean vehicles. Uh, last year, uh, the uh, presidents of the United States and China announced uh, the creation of three U.S.-China clean energy research centers funded by the U.S. Department of Energy and by the uh, Ministry of Technology and Industry in China um, that are focused on three very important uh, energy-related topics, clean coal, clean buildings, and clean vehicles. We participated, we, Ohio State, um, with leadership provided by the Center for Automotive Research. We teamed up with our colleagues at the University of Michigan and at MIT and with many other industry partment, uh, partners and uh, government uh, national labs, and we uh, produced a proposal that was selected uh, to, and was awarded this Clean Energy Research Center. So the reason I was going to Shanghai is actually because we now have a very active uh, technical collaboration with our colleagues at Chinese universities and national labs, and, um, uh, and, and I'm learning. I'm learning a lot. Uh, clearly, this is a country that uh, China is a country that is uh, developing very rapidly, and it has uh, a lot of work to do before it reaches the degree of uh, technical savvy and uh, manufacturing expertise uh, that is required to have a mature automotive industry. So 
through these collaborations, we hope to be able to steer and direct these efforts in such a way that uh, China will be able to perhaps leapfrog some of the uh, today's technologies and move directly into more sustainable modes of transportation. That's excellent. That is really excellent. Now, before we go, we've got about a minute and a half. I want to give you a chance to talk to high school seniors who are just getting ready to graduate. We've got a lot of students and their parents who listen to Go Green Radio. And there are a lot of bright kids out there who probably got an admission letter to the Ohio State University and maybe some others. Tell them why they should become Buckeyes and come join you in the fall. Well, this is an exciting place. Ohio State University is a large school that has the feel of a small college. We are a collection of uh, groups and families dedicated to um, learning uh, on many different levels and on many different subjects. And, you know, sometimes students might be a little bit scared of going to a campus that has over 50,000 students. The reality is that uh, uh, today Ohio State consists of a collection of very tightly knit communities. And for those students who may want to explore uh, the topics that you and I have discussed today, my recommendation is come on over and uh, enroll in any one of the engineering or technology majors that may be of interest to you, and uh, there will be plenty of activities to become engaged in. As I said, we engage high school students, undergraduates, graduates, postdocs, so anyone who wants to be a part of a sustainable future in transportation uh, should simply show up on campus next September and uh, come to work with us. I love it. That's great, Dr. Rosani. And you know what? If you should ever start a fan club, please let me know because I want to be first to join. I just love what you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us on Go Green Radio today. Um, would love to have you back another time to, to get an update on all the great work that you're doing. Folks, thanks for joining us this week on Go Green Radio. We'll be right here, same time, same place next week. You're going to love our guest. She's the president and CEO of Clean Tech San Diego, Lisa Bicker. So don't uh, miss that interview. You're going to love it. And until then, have a great week and go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.